Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hey everybody, it's me again, Michaela, and I'm back with the next chapter of Women Who Run With The Wolves. I have been doing these chapter summaries closer together, and I think it's helping with any nervousness I have to get started. I just feel like I'm getting better at jumping in. I'm also always troubleshooting the volume and the lighting, so I'm sorry for all of the past videos that are sort of hard to hear and hard to see. If you were listening to this on the podcast, I actually went back to the first couple chapters and fixed the volume because I noticed when I went back to listen to them that they're super quiet. So if you wanted to listen to those, but they were too hard to hear, hopefully those are better now. I just wanted to also share how grateful I am for all of you who comment in the comments and give me feedback and engage with this content. I It really helps me to know that I'm reaching some people. I also know that I'm doing this project a lot for myself and my growth and to push myself. Sharing in this way is definitely an edge for me and it takes a lot of organization and planning and follow through. So it's cool to see tiny bits of improvement every time. And I've also really enjoyed going back and listening to my past episodes and seeing the growth that I've been through. And we are nearing the end of this book, which means this project will be soon complete if I keep going at the pace I've been going. And I've been really excited about feeling the feeling of having this project complete. So thanks again for joining me and let's dive in. This chapter is chapter 12. It's called Marking Territory, the Boundaries of Rage and Forgiveness. And unlike the last chapter that was sort of more short and sweet and a little bit light and silly, this one goes really deep. This is the chapter that addresses head-on really uncomfortable feelings that women might feel in their life, like rage, grief, anxiety, all of these things based on deep traumas and deaths that have happened in the woman's life. So if you're someone who's been through some really deep triggering traumas, that this chapter might possibly bring up, I definitely recommend working with a licensed therapist. Uh, If you're going to read this book and explore these topics and a lot of the suggestions she gives can take a lot, a lot of work and a lot of support and you don't need to do it alone. The topic of anger is really close to my heart. I've had a few important people in my life that have a lot of this energy, the energy of rage and anger and just fiery energy in general. 
And if you're into astrology, I have almost no fire signs in my chart, but I tend to surround myself with fire signs. I have tons of Leos and Sages in my life, and I'm just endlessly fascinated on the topic of anger and rage and the way people get activated in this way. It's very obviously an uncomfortable emotion to feel and to be around, and our culture tends to suppress it overall. Especially as women, it is not a good thing to be angry or to show your anger or rage. It is very looked down upon in our culture. She says, So there we are, holding a powerful emotion that we feel came upon us. It is a little like toxic waste. There it is. No one wants it, but there are few disposal areas for it. In this chapter, she shares two stories. The first one is called The Crescent Moon Bear. And the story goes, there was once a young woman living in a forest and her husband was off fighting in a war for many years. When he returned, the young woman was so excited she prepared a huge feast for him of all of his favorite foods. But the man was so angry and didn't want anything to do with her. He tossed away her food and remained in the forest day and night, demanding he be left alone. The woman was so distraught. (laughs) She went to the healer in the village to find a cure for his anger, and the healer had the perfect remedy for him. The only thing is the healer needed one hair from the chest of the crescent moon bear. The young woman then goes on a long journey up into the mountains, through the forests, and finally to the cave of the crescent moon bear. She leaves the bear food every day and slowly gets closer and closer to the bear's den. And one day the bear spots her and roars. She stands her ground, pleading for the single hair she needs in order to cure her husband's anger. The bear complies and she brings the hair back down to the healer. The healer immediately throws the hair in the fire and tells the woman, "'Remember the process you went through to retrieve this hair?' Go home and proceed in the same ways with your husband. There's a few parts of the story that show how to deal with rage. And again, like always, each of these stories represent all parts of a woman's psyche. So there's the young woman, there's the healer, there's the husband. They're all part of one woman's psyche. And one of the morals of the story is that the healing of rage does not occur on the quest, but from what the quest teaches us and from what illusions are destroyed. This story has many parts to it that I think will take me a long time to fully understand, but my interpretation of the story is just seeing all of the different parts of the quest that she goes through and how that can be similar to the process of healing your rage. For example, getting in touch with your inner healer, which is sort of a calm, unperturbed part of the psyche. It really helps to get perspective and to make a plan getting in touch with the compassionate side, the young woman doesn't get mad at the husband being angry, but she feels compassion and sadness for him and is motivated to help him and to heal him. So motivated, in fact, that she goes on this quest to the underworld of the psyche to really find the root cause of this anger and bring back hope to the angry part of themselves. Even just using the symbol of the bear with its hibernation and its fierceness represents a deep, compassionate part of ourselves that can reawaken when needed. And she beautifully describes all of the different symbols in the story. Uh, But for me, the main take-home of this story is just the encouragement to really lean in to those parts of you that feel angry, that feel triggered. And she makes a clear point that if you don't do that, if you don't quest and find the root cause of this anger then it doesn't just go away on its own. It tends to fester. Sometimes it will explode out 
unexpectedly, or it can be taking up a lot of your creative energy and life force energy. So because I've read stories like this, I have really taken to heart this idea of going on a quest and seeing the anger the way the woman sees her angry husband, seeing it as something that needs compassion and that needs healing, not just something to suppress or exile from my psyche, but to hopefully bring forgiveness. And she talks a lot more about forgiveness later in the chapter. The next story is really short and To me, it was honestly a little confusing how it related, but I'll tell it anyway and see if anything comes up for you. The story is called The Withered Trees. A man with a very bad temper asks an old wise man how to keep his anger under control. The wise man tells him to go sit at a parched oasis in the desert and give water to the travelers coming through. The man does this for many years, and it seems to work. His anger does not come. Until one day, a dark rider comes by and rudely refuses to drink the water the man offers. The man gets so angry that in a fit of rage, he kills the dark rider. Another rider rides up right away and informs the man that the rider he has killed was on his way to kill the king. They celebrate and the desert oasis bursts into joyous bloom. So I think the main point of this story is to show when rage and expressions of rage are appropriate. So for example, in the story, the man uses his rage to kill the dark rider and ultimately the dark rider needed to be killed because he was going to kill the king. So in a way, using that rage to kill off things that are a threat to our safety or to our well-being can be a really powerful practice. And women fall all over the spectrum of how they deal with their rage. Some women have a lot of rage and let it out often over maybe trivial things and partially because they haven't gone deeper to quest and heal some of that and forgive. Other women play nice almost all the time and suppress their rage until it comes out in a huge explosion. And in some ways in this story, the way that the man deals with his rage is just to leave society in a way and just be giving water to travelers. And in some ways you can see that as suppressing the anger. It isn't really necessarily fixing the anger, but it's kind of avoiding things that would trigger it. And that's something that's really common when people have suppressed anger is just to try to live a life where they avoid the things that trigger their anger. But in the story, the man that comes by and is rude triggers all that anger to come out all at once. And it's super explosive to the point where he kills that man. So I think the moral of the story is that it doesn't always help to just suppress the anger and avoid the triggers because that can end up being more damaging in the long run. But there's also an aspect of the story that shows that anger is an important and useful tool and there's a reason that we are biologically programmed to feel it. She says, in her instinctual psyche, a woman has the power when provoked to be angry in a mindful way. And that is powerful. Anger is one of her innate ways to begin to reach out to create and preserve the balances that she holds dear, all that she truly loves. It is both her right and at certain times and in certain circumstances, a moral duty. So that part really spoke to me because I think I've lived most of my life thinking that I should never express anger and that there's no use for it and all it does is cause drama and hurt people's feelings and make you say things you didn't mean to say. But in reality, in my life, there has been a few circumstances, it's pretty rare, where I have to show my anger in a clear way so that the person or thing that is stepping over my boundaries time and time again really takes me seriously. And I think that's a super important part of this story. One of the other things she mentions in this chapter is this practice she calls descansos. 
And descansos, as she describes them, are those little white crosses that you might see on a rock outcrop or on the side of the road that usually indicate that someone died there. And the way she uses this concept in her healing work is she has a woman take a huge long piece of butcher paper and write out the timeline of the woman's life and all of the big events that have happened and pinpoint all of the times that need to be mourned or forgiven. So this could include big traumas that happen like car accidents or family members that died or time periods in their life that were really challenging really any loss or death of any kind. And she suggests that you draw a little cross in all of these places to indicate that you are honoring those deaths with your love, with your grief, with your tears, and especially with your forgiveness. And part of this process, the forgiveness part, she goes into a lot more depth on in the book. And I love some of the points she makes about forgiveness. That, for example, a lot of people think forgiveness is something you do in a moment. Like, okay, I forgive you. But in reality, forgiveness is a process that you come back to time and time again. She also makes the point that you probably won't ever 100% forgive something or someone that happened to you in the past that really hurt you, you might always hold on to 10 or 15 or 20% of that anger or hurt, but that as long as it's over 50%, she thinks you can move on with your life and stop giving so much energy to that thing. She also makes the strong point that forgiveness takes a long time and to not beat yourself up over the timeline of your forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is sort of an art form and there isn't really a set way to do it. It's very individual to each person. The biggest thing seems to be just getting in touch with your compassionate heart. And for her, the ultimate goal is to feel compassion towards the perpetrator of the trauma. One of the most profound forms of forgiveness is to give compassionate aid to the offending person in one form or another. This does not mean you should stick your head in the snake's basket, but instead respond from a stance of mercy, security, and preparedness. Now, depending on the trauma and the wounding, that could sound almost impossible. And so I don't necessarily recommend that is the main goal. But for smaller offenses, I can see how it would feel nice to regain your power from being a victim and try and use your compassionate heart towards the person that hurt you, knowing that hurt people hurt people. And finally, how does one know if she has forgiven? You tend to feel sorrow over the circumstance instead of rage. You tend to feel sorry for the person rather than angry with him. You tend to have nothing left to remember to say about it at all. You understand the suffering that drove the offense to begin with. You prefer to remain outside. You are not waiting for anything. You are not wanting anything. There is no lariat snare around your ankle stretching from way back there to here. You are free to go. So that's a really hopeful message if you can get there. And I have definitely felt that way with some of my past grievances. And it does feel really freeing not to hold on to that resentment. Although I definitely urge you to take your time with it because there's a lot of kind of spiritual bypassing and even secret suppression when we pretend to forgive when we actually haven't. This chapter, as you can see, goes really deep and brings up a lot of hard things. So I wanted to offer just a little extra thing to think about and maybe look into. Over the last couple years, I've learned a lot about this thing called the polyvagal theory. And you've probably heard of, for example, fight or flight. That list now includes a third one, freeze. And some people even add the word fawn. But using the framework of fight, flight, or freeze, 
It's interesting to think about how these show up in this topic of rage. These three responses are responses to traumas and triggers and things that remind you of a past trauma. So for example, if you were in a war and you had an explosion go off near you, then a loud noise might put you into either fight, flight, or freeze. Now you can kind of figure out which one of those three you're doing by looking at the way your body reacts and your behaviors. So for example, If you hear the noise and you want to run away, that means you are reacting in flight. If you hear the noise and crumple up into a ball or freeze like a deer in the headlights, that is more of like a freeze or fawn. And if you hear a loud noise and you run towards it like you're going to attack it, that would be fight. And this is very oversimplified, but it's interesting to think about which one of those things is your go-to response. And actually, that's going to be my first journal prompt. Of the three trigger responses, fight, flight, or freeze, which one do you think you go to the most often? And of course, with each trigger and each trauma, you might have a different reaction, but it's interesting to note which ones are your go-to. And that will really determine and show up in the ways that you express rage. So like she said earlier in the chapter, there are some people who have a lot of rage and instead of dealing with it, they just let it out all the time on other people and they're kind of miserable and hard people to be around. But then on the other side, there are people who are only pleasant all the time and suppress all of their rage, which also is just as unhealthy. So thinking about those in terms of fight, flight, or freeze, I would say the freeze and fawn response are sort of the ones that suppress and the fight and flight responses are the ones who maybe overreact. So trying to figure out which one of those resonates most with you can really help to see where the healing is needed. For me, I mostly see myself doing the freeze and to me that feels like a little fuse is flipped. That's kind of how it feels in my body. It's like my eyes go blank and my body gets kind of paralyzed. And the other one that sometimes shows up for me is flight, where I just want to hide or I go into anxiety. But I am really curious what other people's are. I've definitely seen myself a few times go into fight, especially if there's something right in front of me that is, I guess, attacking me. But those instances have been very rare. I usually just want to hide or crumble. So for me in this chapter, when she talked about being too nice all the time and suppressing your anger, I identified with that part. And I've had to do a lot of work on choosing to allow my anger to come out in situations that warrant it. And it's been really powerful and especially helpful to be around other people, like I said, fiery people, who allow their anger out more. It really helps me heal the part of myself that that deeply judges myself for having anger at all. But the reality is we all have anger. It's a biologically installed trait with very important evolutionary advantages. So you don't need to be ashamed for having anger, but if you're someone who goes into fight a lot for things that don't warrant it, that is something to look at. So my other prompts are, think of something you're angry about. What is keeping you from forgiving? So she talks a lot about forgiveness near the end of the chapter, and it really made me think, where can I still have more forgiveness in my life? And my honest answer for some of that is time. Sometimes I really just know that time will heal. And she says that in the chapter too, that it's not always something you have to do. Sometimes you just have to wait it out and fill your life with joyful, pleasurable things. Be always improving your self-worth 
and your self-love and your self-compassion. And in that process, you will slowly forgive. And for me, anything that I still hold on to, it might be related to old family dynamics or friends that have hurt me in the past. Most of that has been forgiven just through the work of self-compassion. My last prompt is if you were to create your disconsos, that's that timeline with the little crosses on it, and mark all of the traumas and deaths that have occurred in your life, what would that include? So this is something that you don't need to answer publicly, but it would be a really good journal prompt to do privately if you'd like. But I did end up doing a small version of this after finishing this chapter, and it was really powerful to just take a moment with each of those little deaths, whether it was a breakup or a big fight that I had with a family member or um, even just like recent things like moving out of my house that I was living in for a long time. It could be anything like a pet dying, a a grandparent dying. So I ended up with a lot of little crosses and for each one I got to just sit and honor that grief that I felt for those things and perhaps the rage. A lot of my little crosses were actually just really sad things. I have less things on my timeline that make me really angry, but I would say my go-to emotion for difficult things is usually more on the grief, anxiety, and less the rage. But it was really, really helpful to just take a moment with each of those challenging moments and give them the credit and reverence that they deserve. I hope that all made sense and you followed along okay. I know that chapter was a big one for me and it's kind of hard to summarize, to be honest. And even as I'm speaking, I feel like there's more and more things, ideas coming up for me. But I think I'll leave it at that. And I would love to hear some of your responses to my prompts down below in the comments. I'll see you for the next chapter, chapter 13. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.